welcome to the Enchanted Ears podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. Did you forget what you were supposed to say next? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. I like it. Yep. So on, on this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the Adventurers Club, oh, which yes. is kind of unlike anything Disney has ever done before. And so I think, you know, ultimately... This was something we really didn't know too much about, but researching it, we kind of really enjoyed it, and it, yeah. it turned out to be a really cool thing. Yeah, so if this is something that, you know, I know that sometimes whenever I'm listening to podcasts, if I hear something, and I'm like, oh, this topic doesn't sound like something that's interesting to me. Just give it a second, because it is very, it's very good. So don't turn it off. It is a really interesting concept, and I think that the way that it, it worked, it it's just a completely immersive experience. Definitely. And uh, one kind of housekeeping note before we jump into Disney news. If that I don't very like cleaning. If that very professional intro, um, <laughs> you know, it really just showed how top tier talent we are of podcasters, <laughs> then head over to the podcast awards and nominate us for the top podcast. So I think we probably should have done a better job and sound a little bit more professional here, but I mean, we have talent managers just knocking down our doors at all times. We do. (laughs) We have to fight them off like uh, Rapunzel with a frying pan. All right. So no, but, but we are, we've, um, we've entered into the podcast awards. So it's a, it's a, a people's choice, um, award it's if you go to podcastawards.com you can then uh, nominate uh, your favorite podcast so we are listed under the entertainment category and also the people's choice category so it is uh, it's free to nominate uh, your favorite podcast some of some of the other podcasts you listen to may be on there as well there's just, like 10 different categories just remember that you, some of your other probably more favorite podcasts might be up against us but you should pick us anyway. Yeah. So there's like 10 or 12 uh, different other categories on there. And again, if you just go to podcastawards.com, I think all you need to do is like just like register, but it's free to register. And then you can select uh, your podcast. So it, the nominations run through the end of July. So we'd appreciate if everyone listening uh, could go out and nominate us again in the entertainment category and the people's choice category. And- I know that like, you know, it's it's a pain and so we do appreciate it. It is a way for us to reach a larger audience. So, um, you know, if if you have already left us a review, that's one really awesome way that you do that. If you follow us on social media, it helps more people to see what we do and then voting for us in this. I mean, if we were to happen to win, more people would be exposed to the podcast, which means we could do cooler things. So, it really does help. And we promise we'll get better at the intros. <laughs> so, and, and you can only vote one time. So it's not like it's something where, you know, you keep going on and you vote multiple times. That helps. It's, oh, just, good. it's just one nomination. Yeah, so. those are kind of a pain. So I'm glad. All right. So jumping into Disney news now. So last week, you know, we had our interview with Tom Bancroft. If you haven't listened to that yet, go check that one out. That We had that one pre-recorded before... Um, some of the Disney news, you know, came out. Uh, the few things we're going to discuss this week, so we we didn't have a chance to talk about them last week. So people have probably already heard a lot of this stuff. But in case you haven't, I mean, it's still only about a week old. But uh, the one thing is the Disney Park Pass reservation system opened up. So if if you have a, a theme park reservation or a ticket reservation through the rest of the year for Walt Disney World, you're going to need to make a reservation for a specific park for each day. Or if you're looking to book for 2021, you're going to have to do this as well. So it is out there now. I actually put together a 
three or four minute little YouTube video. So you can head over to our YouTube channel and check that out if if you need help. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it was really easy to do to register. So we had a, a trip booked in August, which we have since canceled um, just because with everything going on, it's really doesn't make sense to travel at this point. And I think it's not, we don't need to go to Disney this year. And so right. I think we kind of made the decision. Well, yes. I think we made the decision. It's probably the smarter thing to do just to kind of stay home and not be traveling unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, with things, but not the easy decision to make, but probably the correct one. Right. Um, but, but, but before we canceled, I, I kind of waited until, we, until the reservation was out because I wanted to see how this worked. But it's really easy to do. It does not seem like a lot of the days have filled up. So that's either not a lot of people are going or I'm not sure. But I know the first week the park's open. There's a few days, I think, where Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom are full. But you can actually go on Disney World's website now and look at the calendar before you book. Because I actually recommend that now that if you're planning a 2021 trip, to check the availability calendar because they don't want people buying tickets and then realizing, oh, I can't go to the parks I want to. And if you go on there, like all the days are green, which means every park's available every day. So I'd have to imagine there's probably not a lot of people booking. I started looking at 2021. Hotel prices are pretty high. I would wow. recommend if you want to go to the parks next year, because again, as of right now, you cannot book a trip through the rest of the year. Um, you have to wait and they're, they're, they may open it back up, but they're, they're booking for 2021. I would wait though. Cause I'd have to imagine they're going to have to run some deals to get people mm -hmm. to come to the parks. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the attendance is going to be down. I think you're going to maybe get a lot of locals, but I, they're not going to get this, the volume that they're used to getting. So they're going to be running some deals to try to entice people to get down there. Yeah. So I would, I would definitely wait. I don't think there's any hurry. Again, you know, the days aren't filling up or anything. I don't think there's any rush to go out and book a trip now. One, cause you don't even know when it may be safe to go. Um, but two, again, I think you're going to be, if you wait a few months, I think they're going to start be rolling out deals. Once the parks open and they really see what's the attendance look like and what's the demand look like. I think that's when you'll, you'll see, um, you know, some deals coming out. So. Oh. Interesting to see. The other piece of news, and we, we didn't talk about this a few weeks ago. We didn't have a chance to talk about it, but there was a uh, change.org petition going around to mm. retheme Splash Mountain to uh, be Princess and the Frog themed. Yeah. And we didn't get a chance to talk about it a few weeks ago, but Disney announced that they are, in fact, doing just that. They are <laughs> retheming uh, in, in both U.S. parks Splash Mountain to be Princess and the Frog, and it's going to take place after the movie so it's not going to be like a retelling of the movie it's going to be after the movie and i believe it's it's they're, they're getting ready almost for like a mardi gras party yeah i, I was gonna say is this like uh like in, in tiana's restaurant kind of situation or um like what is the setting they really just said that it just kind of takes place after the final kiss so it, it's like a continuation post the movie i almost see this as kind of like a, a frozen ever after type it may be a little bit different but like frozen ever after it's a retelling of the movie but the events of the movie have already occurred because it's it's elsa inviting you in for this like party and like they're getting ready for the party but so they, they kind of retell some of the events they have the songs you know but it is a little bit after the movie i kind of think it's going to be something similar to that where 
it's going to be after the movie. They're getting ready for some celebration of some sort, but they can still work in the characters and the songs from the movie that you love. Yeah, I think that this has really great potential because, again, The Princess and the Frog is such a great movie and it really doesn't receive as much attention as it should. So I definitely see this as a really great way for them to get um, IP into a ride that already existed. Um, And for those of you who might not know, uh, since Joe taught me this a while ago, but IP stands for intellectual property. You say that every time. I know. Every time I say IP, you make me explain it. Yeah, I think... (laughs) You know, it, it, it allows them, to your point, it allows them to get IP in, but, you know, w- why the petition came about and and why Disney's doing this is Splash Mountain is based on the Song of the South movie. So, right. you know, Disney does not release the movie. So, you know, Disney doesn't release Song of the South in the U.S. They understand it is not, it, it wasn't, when it was made, you know, people were we're kind of protesting it that hey this isn't a good portrayal of the time period and everything and you know Disney realizes that now and so having a ride linked to that um you know it's just it's just not a good look on the company it's just not a, it's not in good taste really right. and, and so and so in order for them to kind of distance themselves from that i this retheming will really help right and so i think disney's realized this i think you know people have brought this up before about splash mountain it seemed to have gotten again with this petition and with the black lives lives matter movement going on it seemed to pick up more steam now disney said they've been working on this for a year now that this cuz i was kind of surprised like you know, I, I, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, it's easy for me to say this now, but when I heard about this petition, I was like, I could see Disney acting on this because one, you know, Disney seems to be on the side of, you know, inclusiveness. They seem to understand that, you know, this movie in their history is not um, a, a good thing to have and, and that they understand that this, just for a number of reasons, isn't good to have. So, you know, th- they know where they want to be. It's a, it's really good PR for them. I mean, honestly, but also they've done this before with Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, they've changed the Pirates of the Caribbean scenes where, uh, yes. you know, it, it was the men chasing the women and then they changed mm-hmm. it to the women chasing the men. They just changed red and, and made her like an actual pirate, yeah, right? an actual pirate type thing. So they've done this in the past. So I, when I first heard about this and everybody's like, no, you know, Disney's never going to do this. This is, you know, don't don't change Splash Mountain. I was like, I could see Disney doing this. I am quite surprised that they announced this so quickly. And I think that people that are like, oh, you can't get rid of Splash Mountain. It's it's not linked to the movie. Nobody knows what the movie is. I don't think you can take that stance because there are a lot of people that know what it means and and it's it's a problem for them to visit the parks. And nobody should go to Disney right. parks and feel uncomfortable riding any ride. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I do think that they announced it probably so quickly because they were probably not looking forward to making this announcement. You know, anytime Disney says they're going to change anything, they usually get a large contingency of people who push back. So now that this movement's occurred and Disney has the foresight, they probably realized, you know, long before a lot of uh, people realized, like, and really understood the full implications of the way that our culture has treated black people um i think disney probably was starting to understand that long before 
you know, coronavirus hit and all this stuff happened where a lot of us were doing a lot of education. So now they kind of jumped on that opportunity to say, hey, yeah, by the way, also we're changing this because, you know, they were going to do it anyway. Yeah. And quite honestly, I mean, I think, yes, you know, Splash Mountain has been around for a while. I don't think it's going to be diminished in any way. I mean, Disney does a great job at redoing these rides. I mean, I think it's going to be, I'm really excited to see what they do. Look at Frozen Ever After. I, mean, I was took, just thinking They that. took the Norway ride and a lot of people are mad. Oh, you're getting rid of this. You know, it was an, a, you know, one of the original attractions. And it's so much better now with Frozen. You look at Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. We haven't had a chance to ride it, but from the videos oh. we've seen and everything that people say about it, it's so much better than what the, um, the Great Hollywood Movie ride was. I mean, Disney is going to go out of their way to make this ride you know, just really incredible. I think they're going to have some really good animatronics in it. And they haven't announced when this is going to happen. So, I mean, I think, you know, Splash Mountain, it, it, it's going to reopen, I think, when the parks reopen. I mean, it's not like that they're shutting it down right now because, you know, who knows how this plays in with the budget constraints and everything that they're going through of projects on hold. But I, I am excited to see this. I think this is the right move from Disney. And again, I mean, I, it's easy for me to say this now, but I'm not surprised that they did this. I When I first heard about this kind of petition, I was like, I could see Disney doing this. Um, again, I'm kind of surprised that it happened so fast. I was going to say, but, we had this conversation yeah. off camera whenever before they made the announcement and whenever you learned about the change.org petition. I mean, it is, yeah, we were both saying this This seems like something Disney might be listening to. So, yeah. Definitely. So, All right, so for our main topic this week, we're going to be discussing the Adventurers Club. And, Angela, I think you or I had not previously heard of the Adventurers Club before this. No. But I, I will admit, so I, I heard about this listening to another disney podcast which i enjoy listening to which is the disney dish podcast check it out what what if you uh you know like disney podcast but they mentioned the adventures club and talked a, a little bit about it and i thought oh it's something i'd never heard of before um i thought it would be kind of interesting to do a show on it mm-hmm. and so you know researching it I, angela i know i you did the heavy lifting on the research yeah, here. You, you thought it would be interesting to look into so you made me do it yeah i said hey check this out <laughs> And but it but it no, is, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it is like really interesting. I mean, learning more about it, um, I think it's something completely different than what I was imagining, and something very different than what Disney had ever done. And now I'm kind of upset that we never got to experience it. Right. So yeah, this this is a an attraction. Well, it's not really an attraction, but we'll call it an attraction for for uh, like argument's sake. It was a club, but it it no longer exists, and it was like a favorite of a lot of people that went yeah so i guess kind of taking a a step back so where the adventures club was located was on what is now disney springs formerly downtown disney but even before that it was on the pleasure island section of downtown disney like you said it was a nightclub and, and the whole idea was the whole pleasure island section was just kind of like a series of nightclubs and restaurants and things yeah so this was kind of uh eisner's play to try to attract again a, a, a more mature audience and make Disney like a, a great location to go to. So, you know, what we said it's a nightclub, but we really haven't described it yet. So basically it was a nightclub for quote world travelers and explorers and it was set in 1937. So inside you can go in and you could see there were artifacts and photographs and animatronics and puppets. And also there's a cast of adventures like you know, actors that helped to create this really incredible atmosphere. So, right. So, so kind of like you mentioned, I mean, Eisner's big 
push was kind of almost turning Disney into a development company. So everything was always about developing the land they had, you know, trying to bring more guests in the guest experience. So this opened in 1989 or originally in, in downtown Disney. Like you said, it was set in the 1930s. And what was interesting is it was, it was set every night was New Year's Eve. So it, all the shows ended with a, a fireworks show. Right, And right. so it was kind of this party atmosphere. Now, what I, what I do think was interesting, so kind of just real quickly on, on the Pleasure Island side of it, you know, in Pinocchio, they have Pleasure Island, but this kind of version of Pleasure Island is named after an explorer. So kind of the backstory of the whole island is that uh, a man named Mary, Meriwether Pleasure. Meriwether adam pleasure because his his initials were map oh there you go <laughs> so attention to detail there so yep, yep. he actually discovered this island so the whole thing was you know kind of built uh, around this like rundown island thing but he discovered it so that's why it was called pleasure island and then right he was an industrialist and an explorer and he moved there to to create his sail making business and um it was like this you know great business that he did but then he part of his persona is he loved to throw parties after hours for his workers and people but then unfortunately he got lost at sea and his his uh his sons listen to this one couldn't keep the company afloat there you go (laughs) so the island was destroyed by a storm until disney rediscovered it in yeah in the in the 1980s when it opened it opened on may 1st 1989 okay yeah, I mean, just an incredibly detailed backstory. Mm-hmm. Because when I originally heard, like I said, of Pleasure Island, I was thinking of Pinocchio. And I was like, what? Like, okay, I get kind of why they named it that. But really, that's not... In Pinocchio, that's not like... Um, it doesn't have like a positive connotation. So I was kind of wondering why they named it that. But it, it makes sense, you know, with this backstory. So, you know, following on the backstory, the Adventurers Club kind of grew out of that because it has a connection to Meriwether himself. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, where this was located is it was located in what is now Disney Springs. So it is where the landing is. So if you're familiar with the landing, this is where, I mean, there's a ton of restaurants. So I'm just going to name a few. Raglan Road, the Edison, Paddlefish, and Aaron McKenna's Bakery NYC. They're all right there. So this well, yeah, is where it the was. The Adventurers Club was where the Edison is now. So it, the Edison is on the old location, the Adventurers Club. And the and the boat that's still there, um, the the restaurant they have, that restaurant was a part of Pleasure Island as well. That was actually his boat that he sailed in on. Oh, pretty cool. So that that piece is still there. So, going into the actual history, not the made up history of the place, you know, as with any great idea, it was you know there were a lot of people that had their their hand in it, and two of those people were Chris. And I, don't, I'm, I think it's Cardine. Um, he was the VP of WDI, uh, Cardine or Cardine, and Joe Rohde, you know, Mr. Earrings and Animal Kingdom. So, yeah, if you watch the Disney Imagineering story, then you've seen Joe Rohde. I mean, he's super famous to people who know that. But anyway. Yeah, I will say, I mean, I think once I heard Joe Rohde was involved yeah. in it, I mean, I think that kind of tells you a lot about you know, any sort of attraction or anything that if you know Joe Rohde's involved, because to your point, you know, he was the lead designer on Animal Kingdom. He worked on, you know, Everest. And if you just look at the queue of Everest, I mean, they they went to Nepal and got real artifacts and things to fill that queue with. You know, he 
to your point on the Imagineering story that they talked about Animal Kingdom, and he traveled the world, you know, trying to make it realistic. He was, you know, kind of heavily involved, the lead on Pandora, and that's an incredibly detailed land. So I think, you know, everything... He just has a beautiful mind. Yeah, everything he does is incredibly detailed. So I think if you hear he was involved in that, it, it, you can kind of, it, it helps set the picture. I mean, so... There are, you know, photographs and, and things if you want to check this out, but it, it, it does have that similar style of kind of like Animal Kingdom and, and a lot of artifacts and incredibly detailed, which makes a lot of sense because Joe Rohde, again, was heavily involved in this. Right. So he and Cardine, um, I, I think that what happened was that Cardine sketched on a, car- a cocktail napkin as you know, all good ideas are born, are born like the idea for the adventurous club. And then Rhodey got the idea for the atmosphere from an annual party that he throws called the last day of the Raj. So these two gentlemen, they, they wanted to create like this atmosphere of a place where they wanted to go, but didn't really exist. So they could have gotten their inspiration from a number of places. There was an LA show called Tamara, which, uh, listen to this show. So, it was there was a live multi-room play that allowed 150 audience members to follow 10 actors through an Italian villa set in the late 1930s. Does that sound kind of familiar to you? Yeah, it does. I mean, jumping ahead, I mean, as we haven't really really explained the Adventurers Club, but ultimately what it is is an immersive theater right. project. So what it, it sounds, sounds like it's not, what it sounds very similar to is there's a immersive show in New York City called Sleep No More mm-hmm. um, that we've been to. Some people may be familiar with it. Some people may and not be. And but, it's patterned after Macbeth, basically. Correct. They loosely use the story yes, of, of Shakespeare's Macbeth. It's Macbeth and uh, Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock movies kind of together. But you are essentially in that you're in the play. So you know the actors have these loops that they go on and there's these different storylines. But you, as the spectator, instead of sitting in a seat watching something happen on stage, you are walking through the environment and you're, you're an observer and free to kind of go wherever. And so this is, this was kind of Disney's immersive theater, which I think is, is really interesting. I'm surprised that they've never used it in any other way. Right. Right. It's just a really cool idea. If you've never had, I'm sure that, that, Sleep No More isn't the only immersive theater that there is. I know that I, I think it's not as popular as it as it should be because it is really fun for the audience. You find a character that you are intrigued by and then you follow that character and somebody else might follow somebody else. Like Joe and I compared notes after we did Sleep No More because he followed different people than I did. So um, this I, kind of situation is, is really cool and, and you can move throughout all the rooms in, in uh, the, advent, uh, the Adventures Club. I almost called it the Adventure Zone. Um, but you could you could do the Adventures Club the same way. Yeah, I will say. I mean, the thing about you know the immersive theater is is it requires a, a very skilled improviser. Mm-hmm. So now Sleep No More is a little bit different because there are very set patterns that the actors are going on. There's very little dialogue. It's it's mostly kind of given in interpretive dance routines, and it but it, it's very staged in Sleep No More. I mean, they kind of are doing the same thing, whereas with the Adventurers Club, as you're in there, it is kind of full, you know, improvising because you can interact with the people and talk to them and then they'll yes. tell you their backstory. And, you know, depending on the questions you ask them, they have to have the responses that kind of are consistent with their backstory. So 
it can be a different experience every time you go and the people really have to live that character and be you know quick on their feet it's not like they're just going through a show where they're doing the same thing which i mean a lot of the stuff is similar but it is um you know it, it can be different every time yeah so moving on into what we've we've sort of touched on is there are different rooms in the Adventures Club. Now, of course, there are, you know, there are special shows that occur at a certain time and they're bigger shows. So they're, they're the ones that you're probably, everybody's going to pretty much come together for. But these different, so there, there were about five or more rooms. And actually, I know when they built it, there was, um, there was a comment in the one video. Um, I think it's called review, review time. Yeah. Review time dot com and they have an article and then also he has a youtube video it's about it with, it's time it's, with a y yeah so it's a, that was an excellent place where we got a lot of our information in there though um he mentioned something about how there's there's actually more rooms than you were they were ever going to use so i i think that there are actually additional there's additional space in in the um adventurers club that they at, intended on maybe using and they, they maybe maybe never got to but here are the rooms that they had so they had the zebra mezzanine which was the top floor where you enter and you can view the whole place from there and the walls are completely decorated with travel memorabilia then there was the main salon which is where the main bar was and there was a small stage that hold they, they would hold the new member orientations and inductions there. So they had a giant, this is incredible. They had a giant statue of Zeus in the middle of the room. And it's like a famous statue. I don't, I didn't remember. I didn't write down the name of it, but instead of him being ready to throw a lightning bolt, like, you know, Zeus does he, the lightning bolt was replaced by a fishing rod. So they called him God with a rod. <laughs> so it kind of gives you that. I love that image because it kind of gives you the, an idea of the kind of like, you know, funny humor going on in this place yeah and and initially whenever you first walk in they would give you a letter too that there so there's a butler character that would greet you and and he would it was kind of like you were a returning adventurer and he had your mail for you so everybody would get a letter and they were kind of you know comical the handwritten letters that, that kind of set the tone for the evening and i think these letters became really popular like people you know really enjoyed going and kind of collecting these letters that they would like publish them in newsletters and things <laughs> and, and try to combine them because you have to figure they have to, they'd have to write these letters for thousands of people, you know, every single night. So to your point between kind of that and then the statue, you kind of get that, yeah, that humor that they're going for. Right. Yeah. So then there was also a mask room. Duh. I mean, it had a bunch of masks in it, but a lot of the masks would interact with each other. And then there's the treasure room where there was a genie and like, and its head was in a, like a glass ball and a a cast member would talk to them. So that's another small show that they'd have. And then there was the library, which is where the main stage was for shows and musical numbers. Yeah. And all, and all throughout. So, you know, you mentioned kind of the the cast members, a floating head, there was masks. So there were animatronics throughout and kind of special effects throughout the club as well, but, but they weren't kind of your, typical animatronics where Mm -hmm. it was just uh, a set kind of speech that they would give they were actually run by puppeteers behind the scenes Mm -hmm. so yeah a lot of them were yeah so it was kind of much more in the style of like the monsters inc laugh factory or turtle talk with crush where you have a puppeteer now in that case that's a computer generated image but you have a puppeteer live generating the image and the dialogue at the same time so you could interact you can interact with the crowd so that's kind of 
you know, maybe the first time they did it, but they did it with animatronics. So they had like a kernel and they had the masks and they had, um, you know, the, the genie as the floating head and it would be, you know, they would come alive. They could, you know, control the animatronics. They could interact with the guests. And so it made for a much more unique experience. Right. And, and just to kind of, you know, go to those, some of those characters. So there was Colonel, uh, Colonel Critchlow Sunbench, who was a puppet, like you were saying, and he sat on duty, which basically meant he was asleep. Like, I think that his character was supposed to be intoxicated. And so he would wake up sometimes to lead inductees and club song and converse with the guests. But the joke there was he oftentimes didn't know what songs he was supposed to be leading because he wasn't really paying attention to what was going on. So, you know, he would maybe they'd they'd get him to try to rouse him to try to start leading the club song and he would start singing something else. And then you couldn't make out half of what he said. So that was part of the joke. Um, And he was definitely one of those characters, I think, that was a puppet. And then there was Babylonia, who's a stone face on the wall. She was the goddess of women and all things fertile. And then she sometimes talked. Um, I don't know if she was just purely animatronic or what, but... The Yakuse, the Yakuse is a mounted animal head that occasionally moves and speaks, and he would either talk to guests, like you were saying, or Babylonia. And then there's Arnie and Claude, which was a pair of talking masks in the mask room, and Bezel, as you mentioned, who was the genie that talked to um, the lecturer in the treasure room. And there were more. Those are just some of the ones that I wrote down. And those are kind of like the secondary characters. Right, exactly. So like the main characters who were the actors actually kind of walking around, interacting with you. You had a Hathaway Brown, uh, who was an aviator. You had Otis T. Wren, who was the club treasurer. And he is an, he's an ichthyologist. So that is a person who studies fish. So he was basically your resident geek. And you kind of get the point that, like, I kind of from reading and, and, and watching videos about him, he's kind of kind of like probably the one that was really underestimated everybody kind of ignored him um but he was sort of the underdog yeah and then you had fletcher hodges who was the club curator pamela perkins who was the club president samantha sterling who was an explorer and cabaret singer emil bleehall yeah emil bleehall was actually the the boulder dash cup competitor and that was the Boulder Dash Cup was a competition held for the adventurer of the year. So actually the club would vote on this at the end of the night. And um, he almost always won, except for, I think there were four, I, I have this written somewhere, but he, I think there were four occasions where actually Otis T. Wren, including the last night of the club, where Otis T. Wren won. So like I said, he was kind of the underdog character. And he was actually an interesting character because he he fluctuated a bit. He was played one of two ways. So he was either play, played as a plaid sport, co- uh, sport coat wearing country bumpkin, but then also he was sometimes played as a junior adventurer. So he was kind of like a boy scout. So his character was a little bit different. And I know on the last night of the club, both Emil Bleehalls actually appeared. Uh, then we mentioned Graves, who was the butler. There was a maid character. And then there was Madame Zarkov, who was the mysterious gypsy who would then talk to the floating head. So, yeah, I mean, just a, you know, a wide cast of characters here. Um, and again, I mean, just, I mean, the more you kind of learned about this and the more you kind of read about it, it, it really did seem like it was just an incredible experience to be there and just to kind of interact with this group 
of characters. Yeah, it seemed like a really rich environment to be in. I mean, it, there was so much thought put into it. And even like some of these characters, there was play in some of these characters too, where you have these people who are regulars that are always there. But then there was like the maid character, um, depending on the rotating cast of, you know, whoever's working that night, they all had their own personas. So if you go back one night and then you go the ne- another night and another maid is working, you're interacting with a completely different character. So um, it's, and like some of these characters too, like they would switch off like Samantha Sterling, um, the explorer and cabaret singer, she would switch off with Madame Zarkov. So again, they kept it constantly moving and changing so that you could go back and, and repeat going as many times as you want as well, as long as you were willing, at least for whenever they were doing the cover charge to get onto Ple- Pleasure Island, you had to buy a ticket to get in. Um, when they were doing that, as long as you were willing to pay that. And then I know later on, they actually got rid of that to try to bring numbers and attendance back up. So yeah, it, it was an incredible environment. Okay, so we've touched on this a little bit, but there were various shows that went on throughout the night. And some of them had set times and other ones didn't. Uh, they kind of just happened whenever you know they needed to happen. And so I picked some of the highlights. So the first thing is the Boulder Dash Cup competition, which took place in the library. And this is where the adventure of the year was selected and they won the Boulder Dash Cup. And it, like I said, almost always ended with Emil Blehall winning and it was judged by crowd applause. But um, there were four occasions where Otis T. Wren won and one of those was the last night uh, of the club being open. Also, there was the radio broadcast in the library. And when I read this, I was like, this would be so boring. Like to see a live radio broadcast totally not so so this is otis and pamela uh they led a version of their weekly old-timey radio broadcast called the tales of the adventures club but then half of the cast didn't show up so what they would do then is they would replace the cast with members of the audience so you could actually come in and like be selected to go up and participate in their little um you know, in their show. And that would be so much fun. And of course you would, I would like want to get picked. Um, but I'd probably sweat bullets if I got picked it. So it sounds like a really fun, like opportunity. There was also the new member induction ceremony, which took place in the main salon. And that happened every night. And it happened, I think three times throughout the night. And it was hosted by different characters each time. So they did the club, the club salute. So this is where you learned the, uh, the meaning of the club's greeting, which is Congaloosh. And um, you learn the secret salute that accompanies it. So um, this secret salute is insane. So what you had to do um, in order to recognize other members of the Adventurers Club is it was a three-step process. And the first one is you put your right hand just above your navel and you wiggle it like a swimming fish. And I'm doing it right now as if you can see me. Then you have to raise your hand to your mouth and then take a drink from an imaginary glass with an imaginary drink in it. And then finally, you raise your hand over your head and declare Congolouche. So that was the club salute. And they taught you how to do that and talk. And um, you could also order a drink called the Congolouche there. And they also had the club creed, which you would recite. And then the club song. And this is where the colonel would wake up and then teach the crowd the club's anthem. Although, again, he understands which song's being sung. And so, you know, there would be funny things that happened there. And there were also special shows for holidays. So depending on what time of year you visited, you might see something different. So, again, these are just some of the shows. There were a lot of different shows that happened in the different rooms. But those were some of the main ones. Yeah. So you talked about the 
the the handshake and the salute and everything. I mean, you know, all of this really gained an incredible fandom, I think, mm-hmm. amongst people. So there are, you know, a lot of stories of locals going every week. Um, I, I would go every week. Yeah, you know, to, to be a part of this because, again, you know, while it was kind of a set schedule, and I think the shows happened every, like, 20 or 30 minutes, and we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, the, the whole idea was it's it's New Year's Eve. It ended in a fireworks show. Um, on ple- there were fireworks on Pleasure Island every night. So you kind of, the show stopped for a little bit so you could go explore the fireworks. But people would go because it, it was different. Even though it was a set thing, it was different every time. And so it, it really gained, you know, a huge following amongst fans with the letters, with with the salutes and, and everything. And, and locals would go a lot. And so... I mean, it would really feel like a club. Yeah. Like, and, and you'd feel like you're part of something. Um, you know, it's some, I think that whenever you're young and, and you might want to go out and you go to, to like club hopping and you might want to go dancing, this seems like an almost an elevated version of that, um, you know, to feel included in that and then get to go and get to know the characters and see other people. And yeah, so I think it would be a blast to go to. Yeah. But, and, but the thing was that, that people would come so often that a lot of the actors that work there s- said that they still remember some of the regular guests. So, I mean, we'll kind of get into the closure of it, but even after it closed, they've had some reunions since mm-hmm. then where, you know, they've come together and they've done, you know, like the, the, the actors have done another show or something, or they had kind of you know this like Pleasure Island reunion. And a lot of the locals came out and they still remember the people. I mean, they still remember the actors who were there often. And the actors still remember a lot of the locals that came in because there was so much repeat business. And I think that's really rare yeah. for Disney. I mean, I, I think this is something, you know, it's unlike anything they've ever done before. And I, again, I'm kind of surprised that they, haven't done something like this again because it it was so popular and it Mm -hmm. was a a huge repeat draw for people Mm -hmm. um but it it is just really interesting to hear that that people loved it so much like it it almost became it had a life of its own like it it was its own little family like it really did become this actual club yeah it it almost seems like even it seems like there was probably a lot of operating costs behind this and it would be very difficult to you know produce a new year's eve celebration every single night but it just didn't fit in with the new disney springs theme and but i'm but i am surprised that they haven't done anything like this on a smaller scale with maybe one of their restaurants they could they could do something similar um they do 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 different shows of course with some of the restaurants but just to have different character like people in character acting i think that this would be a really cool thing that people would want to go to yeah so it did ultimately close in 2008 i believe it it closed in it was almost like it closed in phases so you're right it closed it closed in 2008 for good but they actually stopped doing the every night is midnight thing in 2005 they did that every night which would probably be exhausting to do but they did that every night and people would they'd stop the the shows and everyone would go outside around like 11 40 and get ready to go and they would actually shoot some of the fireworks off from the club so the roof of the club was one of the places they shot fireworks from and um but they actually like i i kind of alluded to earlier they had a cover at first and so you had to pay to get into pleasure island and then you could actually club hop from place to place but um then they had a problem with declining attendance and then they just they got rid of the cover but once they got rid of the cover they had teenagers and 
unfortunately our <laughs> like our society doesn't value teenagers and sometimes teenagers get up to no good but they started to see them as undesirable and so they didn't like that and they decided that they wanted there was a desire from the people who lived around the area to have retail and dining so they decided that this no longer fit, fit in with their visit vision like you said this is kind of where i have to say disney you don't always have to give the people what they think they want because the issue is you can go anywhere and get retail and dining um you can't go anywhere and have this kind of experience so even though they think they know what they want oh yeah i want an anthropology i want this i want i want a place where i can go get some really delicious fish um People don't sometimes think outside of the box and realize that they, you can pr provide something for them that they've never experienced that they would enjoy so much more. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated that they got rid of this because I think that if they would have stuck it out, I think that it would have, I don't know, I still think it would fit in. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, with, with the closure of this and why the Adventurers Club closed is because they closed all of Pleasure Island. So they, you know, announced Pleasure Island was closing and they were going to be redoing it. They originally were going to do something called Hyperion Wharf. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of went away and became Disney Springs ultimately. And again, the Edison is now where the Adventurers Club is. So I think there was some hope initially that they would bring the Adventurers Club back. But they ultimately didn't. Yeah, so... The, clo the club did close in 2008, and there was an online petition that went around to save the club. They got 2,750 signatures in the first 72 hours, which is pretty darn good. And they also had a letter writing campaign to executives and blogs and things like that. And actually, it did kind of work a little bit because in February 2009, it became like the Adventures Club and then other da the dance club's motion and, and soundstage reopened for private party rentals until September 2009, which is basically a year after they closed to the public. So you could at least rent the venues for a night. But after that, though, they were closed for good. Yeah, but then ultimately it became, you know, Disney Springs and it did be you know, it became the the kind of shopping uh, and restaurant center that it is now. And, and to your point, I mean, you kind of said, hey, Disney, you think they made the wrong move? I will say, I, I feel like Disney Springs is more geared towards locals, though, where, right. you know, if you're a guest coming down there, yeah, you're there for Disney, you're there to see something unique, but you're going to the theme parks. So I think the shopping probably pulls, well, it does pull a lot of resort guests. I think that's a place for locals to go to, too, to do shopping. So, it's it's become kind of like this, you know, like an outlet mall, uh, you know, not necessarily an outlet mall, but like an outdoor uh, mall. And, an outlet mall, essentially. Yeah, and um, and, and so it, it it's more. I think that's more geared towards locals to come and, and get something to eat, do some shopping and things. So it does have that mix. But it is kind of sad that they got rid of something that was so unique like this. It was like lightning in a bottle. I mean, it yeah. really sounds like it was a magical experience. And like I said, you know, hearing us talk about it, I mean, I, I've never been there and I'm passionate about it. And if you watch that review time um, with a Y YouTube video where he discusses and shows you actual visuals of it, I really suggest checking out his video because it gives you an even better idea of what the atmosphere there was and it was incredible yeah and and disney did disney has kind of kept some link to the adventurers club still so there are some links from the club in the jungle cruise attraction because they were they're kind of around the same time period so there are some links um like in the queue and a little bit with with the adventurers club itself right yeah so they have some of the 
the uh, trunks labeled as belonging to the private collection from the Adventurers Club. And they actually used to have some of the um, some of the trunks labeled with like Emil Blehall's name and some of the other names. But they I read that that actually has disappeared. So they don't know if that was vandalized or if Disney got rid of it. But also the Skipper Canteen, which is a restaurant in the Magic Kingdom, and it's run by the Jungle Navigation Co. Limited, which is the same company that runs the, you know, fictional company that runs the, the Jungle Cruise. They actually have a cake on the menu called the Congolouche. So um, you have that tie in as well. And then there's also just many props that have been repurposed and scattered around the world. And those are nice nods to the Adventurers Club. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, Disney now has this um society of explorers and adventurers it's called c and it kind of it's the way they're almost keeping the adventurers club alive Mm so it's linked to a lot of the other parks it seems to be like an expanding universe um that they're continuing to grow so meriwether pleasure was a member of of this you know fictional organization but also in uh, Tokyo Disneyland or Tokyo Disney Sea, uh, Harrison Hightower, who oh. the Tower of Terror yeah. is themed after, he is a member of this. And actually, the the Society of Explorers and Adventurers actually debuted at Tokyo Disney Sea, um, but he was a member of it. And then also the uh, Lord Henry Mystic, who is kind of the backstory for Hong Kong Disneyland's Mystic Manor. Um, which is kind of basically their their haunted mansion over there. So all those people are a part of this um, the C organization. And actually, mm-hmm. in Henry Mystic's case, he, there's actually some notes on on the wall that there were masks that were actually seen in the Adventurers Club. Mm-hmm. That he talked about them, and and his time period is set in 1908, so it predates the Adventurers oh, Club. So cool. it, it kind of helps flesh out that backstory. So they are incorporating the adventurers in this new organization that they're kind of expanding uh, around the globe. So it is interesting how they still keep some of that history. Yeah. I, that's one thing that you have to love about Disney is they're very aware of their past and their history. And so they put these Easter eggs in and then they do it in the movies as well. They put these Easter eggs in for people who are paying attention. Like the other day I actually just watched um, the rescuers. So that's a 19, think like 77 movie and I'm pretty sure Aristocats came out before that um don't quote me on that but it was really funny because they're mice and at one point they mention you know they're just named they just named one random place off the top of their head they're like oh yeah I fly the 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 albatross says oh I fly to Roquefort which is actually the name of the mouse from Aristocats and I'm like that can't be a coincidence that they just mentioned that one place so they put these little Easter eggs in there for people who are paying attention, who know their Disney, and um, it, it's it's really fun. And also, uh, just you know, if, if you're a fan of South Park, uh, they actually had an episode of South Park that spoofed the Adventurers Club. So this is something I'm definitely going to have to try to track down and watch because I think it would be pretty funny. So I, I think that kind of wraps it up. Again, you know, this was a, a little thing. It was like, hey, this kind of sounds like an interesting thing that Disney <laughs> used to do. We should check it out. And, and from researching, I think we found, hey, wasn't this little thing, it's this really super was, interesting thing yeah, that they had, thing. and it was this really awesome club that Disney used to have, and I'm really glad, I'm really glad that we actually looked into it, because again, it's something right. I'd never heard of. I mean, it closed 12 years ago now, and I mean, I honestly have never really heard people talk about this before, right. um, which I kind of find surprising, because again, it, it, did, it does seem to have 
a very large fandom still to mm-hmm. this day. And, you know, like we talked about, they're, they still kind of tied into some of the rides. And like you said, a lot of the props have gone to different places, different parks, you know, across the, the world. But um, yeah, I think I think people need to kind of know more about this. I mean, it's, right. it is a really interesting kind of time in Disney history. And I think maybe the more people that know about this, maybe we will get something similar to this again. Someday. Right. I think we should start a petition to start it up, up again, because I think that this. Yeah, this this is a really great idea that they had. And it's a shame that it doesn't exist, because I know that there's a lot of people who would enjoy being able to take part in this. Us definitely included. Yep. I want to thank everybody again for, for listening this week. Uh, you can check out this podcast every Monday, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe. If you already don't, leave us a rating or a review. You can also check us out on social media, Facebook or Instagram. We're Enchanted Ears on Facebook and Enchanted Ears Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday.